All right, I am excited about these uh, next five weeks, uh, four weeks after today, that we're going to be looking uh, through this series, Mirror Images, Broken Reflections of a Perfect God. Um, And this is going to be a series that I think is one of the most foundational of the entire year. I think the most practical series so far this year was the I Quit Fear. And if you struggle with anxiety and fear, you can look that up at bridgewater.church and uh, watch those messages. But I think this may be even more significant because it's a foundation of so many controversial things in our culture and society and talking about what the Bible says about them. And uh, so over the next uh, couple weeks, we're going to talk about the sanctity of human life at the beginning and the end, race, gender, sexuality, LGBTQ, marriage, and other things as well. And so it's like landmines everywhere. Um, So here's some ground rules as we talk about these things from God's word. Number one, keep an open mind. Um, and, And this goes along with it. Develop compassion for people who think or struggle differently than you do. So in our society today, um, it seems to be a virtue to have a closed mind and, and, and to, to demonize people who think differently than you, right? And to despise people who maybe are different or struggle differently than you do. And, and that is not what God's word wants us to be and that is not who Jesus modeled us to be. And so let's, let's try to do that. And maybe the compassion you need to have is for me because I think differently than you. I don't know. But, and then try to engage, not enrage those who think or believe differently. Um, similar idea of, uh, you know, today I think many people who even define tolerance as tolerance means you believe what I believe or you're, or you're a hateful, awful person. That's not tolerance. Tolerance begins when we disagree and to be able to disagree agreeably and not de- demonize and yell at each other and misrepresent. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to lay a foundation of what our church believes, what I believe, what millions of Christians believe um, throughout the world, and, and just explain what we believe and why. Because traditional biblical Christianity has been demonized and it has been misrepresented in our culture. And, and just I, I want to clear up some of that, and I, and I want us to be able to, to listen and to be able to talk to other people even who, who might believe differently than we do. Um, so here, here's one of the things that I think is important as we talk about this, and that is to recognize that everyone is religious. And I'm using the word religion to mean everyone has a philosophical worldview, and that's, what, that, that's answering these four questions. These are scientifically unanswerable questions. Morality. Science does not, not answer what is right and what is wrong. It tells us what is, not what should be. Right? So, so, this is, so, so some people would say, well, I'm not religious at all. Well, neither am I. Wait a minute, you're a pastor. You have to be religious. Nope. It's a relationship, not a religion, Right? We have all of these, you know, canned words and phrases to to back away from words we don't like. But I I think the truth is that everyone has a religious worldview, even if it's an atheist religion. You know, everyone has a, if you don't like that word religion, everyone has a moral, philosophical way of looking at the world and answering these questions. Now, your answer to morality might be there is no right or wrong. No such thing as right or wrong. You are still answering the question. 
Is there right or wrong? No, you have answered the question, that is your worldview. Um, meaning, purpose in life. Again, you might say there is no purpose in life, which means if things get kind of hard for you, you might just kill yourself. And that would make sense because of your worldview. And, and so meaning and purpose, what, where does meaning and purpose comes from? What is the meaning and purpose of life? And then beginning and end, and you might say, well, scientifically, we know everything began with a big bang. Let me explain science. Science is when you can do an experiment in a lab that can be reproduced. So if you can create the entire known universe in a laboratory and let it be peer-reviewed by other scientists who can create an entire universe in a laboratory, then you can explain. And, and even those who would say, well, it was a big bang. Well, what, what, what caused the big bang? A quantum fluctuation in nothingness. Okay, what caused that? We don't know, nothing. So nothing created everything, yes. Does that break any scientific laws you know? Yes. By faith though, I believe nothing made nothing. Or by faith, I believe God made everything. Or by faith, these are, these are all religious questions. How will everything end? Uh, you know, and everyone answers them. So that's just, so I'm gonna go through in this sermon and, and explain some of why some of our religious philosophical worldview um, perspective. And, and as I do that, I, I think it's important to, to recognize that if you reject this, that's okay. But you have to defend something else. It's really easy to say, Pastor Bob, that's stupid. Here's one, two, three reasons, three holes in your theory. That's, you know but it's harder to say, and here's a better alternative um, that makes more sense. So, um, so here's some foundational things that we believe, um, and one of them is that God is the source of life and everything. In fact, this is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. Before there's the heavens and the earth, before anything is created, which includes time, and I'm gonna geek out a couple times in this message, so you just put up with me a little bit. I love science, um, Einstein's theory of relativity, among other things, implications of that is that matter and energy and time are all like interrelated and connected. And so if you are able, like if you're near a very, very heavy object like a black hole, time slows down. And inside a black hole, time stops. If you move really fast, like the speed of light, time slows down relative to other people. And if you move at the speed of light, time stops for you. Now, if you move at the speed of light, you, have to, you're, you, you get heavier the faster you move, which is why some of you must be, never mind. <laughs> um, it's not relative. So I, like if I weigh 161 pounds, if I'm traveling 99.9% .9 the speed of light, I'm gonna weigh like a million pounds. Okay, which makes it hard to move fast. And if I travel at the speed of light, time stops for me relative to anyone else, and I have infinite weight. Like, it's just weird. Um, but all that to say, before the universe began, then there was no time, because there was no matter, and there was no energy. But there was God. I cannot wrap my head around uh, being outside of time. Like, I can make pictures say, imagine a ball, that's the known universe in time, and I'm standing outside of it. Okay, but time is going 
for me, standing out. I don't know how you cannot be. In. And, and so all that to say, God creates everything. He's outside of our, our universe, outside of our time. And, and one of the important things that it's saying here too is it says, in the beginning, God, not in the beginning, Bob. The, the main character in my life story is not me. The main character in your story is not you. The world does not revolve around you or me. It revolves around God. God is the central person in our existence and he's more important than me and you. And this is what it says and this is how it starts. God created the heavens. I've got a heaven illustration here for you. Um, so the, the more technologically advanced we get as people, I think there is a danger in there that we get more arrogant. You know, in fact, I just read this last week. Elon Musk tweeted, I have spaceships. Just random, you know. I'm like, wow, a human being can own multiple spaceships. That's so cool. Like, we can go to the moon. Like, we are, but the more technologically advanced we become, the more amazing we realize God is. From, from the, the existence and complexity of life to, to the size of the universe. So this is a size comparison. The sun is bigger than the earth, Captain Obvious, okay? Um, it's 100 times greater in diameter, which means if the sun was a piggy bank, you could fit over a million earths inside of it. Is that crazy? And so... But if this was the sun, so let's reduce it to scale to kind of help ourselves understand the distances involved. If this is the sun, the earth would be two millimeters, uh, uh, you know, like a ballpoint, about two millimeters thick. That's the thickness of a nickel. Okay, that's how big the earth is compared to the sun if the sun's a basketball. How far away would the earth be from the sun in this illustration? The end of the stage, the back of the room, it'd be 82 feet away in the parking lot. That, that two millimeter thickness of a nickel, little ball called earth, if the sun is this size. Now here's the next question. How far away would the closest star be? It'd be 4,300 miles away in Athens, Greece, if this is the size of the sun. And that's only 4.2 light years. We throw around these numbers. A light year is 5.88 trillion miles. 5.88 trillion times 4.2 equals a lot. <laughs> Almost 25 trillion. Um, we, we, we cannot fathom distances that far. Voyager space probe at like 30,000 miles an hour is not going to reach, even if it was pointed in the right direction, the closest star wouldn't reach it for tens of thousands of years. I mean, it just, it's just so vast. And that's the closest star. 4.2 light years. There are stars billions of light years away. There's 100 billion stars, give or take a couple billion between friends, in the Milky Way. And then the scientists believe there are 200 billion galaxies in the universe, give or take 100 billion. They're not really sure. But just, you know, the, the vastness. And, and the Bible is saying here, in the beginning, God created the heavens, everything, and the earth. Just just amazing. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I think I'll come back to that later if I have time. But, and God said, let there be light and there was light. 
Two things about this. God could have created the world any way he wanted to. There are myths that uh, uh, a pagan god created the world by spitting. You know, that was the world. Or he slayed a dragon and the carcass of the dead dragon, that became the world. Or the most popular uh, myth in, in America of origins is that nothing created nothing. You know, and, and, and that, that could be. You can believe that. But the Bible says God created everything with words, which tells us the power of words and the power of our words. We have sayings about this. The pen is mightier than the sword. It's saying words are more powerful than war. And, and so we see that here. And then even beyond that is words are powerful. God's word, holy cow, I don't even, I shouldn't even say holy cow. That's a Hindu thing. Um, like, like God can create the entire universe with words. He is so powerful. His words are so powerful. I think we underestimate the power of God's words in our own lives, in the lives of others, in the universe, because he created everything with words. Um, and so that's, that's the first thing, is that God is the author, and he is the beginning of all life, the source of all life, and, and everything in the universe. And then the, the second thing here is that the Bible is the authority for life. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is God-breathed. This is interesting. Bring up this passage because in Genesis chapter 2, it says God breathed, God formed Adam, formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so it's this picture of God took dirt and he breathed into it and made it an eternal, perfect being. And, and so figuratively, he's saying, you know what? God breathed this word. It is an eternal, perfect thing um, because it's from the breath of God. And um, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There are a lot of things that are helpful for us outside of the Bible that help us do good things, but this is saying the only thing we need is God's word. This is enough. If you have this, you are equipped for every good work. It's that powerful and, and that helpful to us. And so the Bible is the authority for life. So one of the biggest pushbacks on this is, well, how could the Bible be the authority for life because of, you know, it can be interpreted in like any way. You know, some people interpret the Bible and they all go drink Kool-Aid and kill themselves. And so the Bible can't be a very, you know, authoritative authority in anyone's life because it can be interpreted in so many different ways. And that is totally not true. So people like to say that the Bible says almost anything. And the truth is, if you're going to interpret the Bible like you would any normal group of words put together, it is actually a narrow road. Now, there's wiggle room in that road. Um, but and here, here's an example just from Genesis 1, 1 through 3. It says, the first two verses, the traditional view is that the first two verses are a summary statement. So it's like time is moving like this, summary statement. And then verse three, he backs up at the beginning again. 
and starts going through. This, this makes sense because chapter two is very much like that. Chapter two gives a summary statement, backs up and says, okay, let's focus in on day six of creation when God creates man. Um, so some would say that in the beginning, summary statement, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Summary, okay, now we're gonna start over. Verse three, God said, let there be light and there was light. And day two, God creates uh, the atmosphere, separating the water above, the atmosphere from the water below. Day three, God creates dry ground uh, out of the water below and, and plants and animals. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. So that's how, now other people would interpret it to say, no, it's not a summary statement that backs up. It's chronological all the way through. God creates the heavens and the earth and the earth is formless and empty. And darkness is on the face of the deep and the spirit of God's hovering over the waters. And then God makes light after that, because nowhere in the six days of creation are we told that God creates the earth. He separates waters, but he doesn't create the earth. So there are arguments for either way, um, and I won't get into that, but that's legitimate interpretation. Now, here's something that's not an interpretation. Someone says, day one, God creates light. There is evening and there is morning the first day. Day two, hundreds of millions of years later, wait a minute, we know, hundreds of millions of years in one day? Yeah, you know, there's a verse that was written 1,400 years later that they would have no clue of when this was written in the New Testament that says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so if a day is like a thousand years, maybe a day is like a hundred million years. Okay. Okay, what does morning mean? Well, morning doesn't mean morning. What does evening mean? Well, evening doesn't mean evening either. That, is that an interpretation? If day doesn't mean day and morning doesn't mean morning and evening doesn't mean evening, and then it doesn't make any sense because then you have day three, plants and trees made, and then hundreds of millions of years later and day four, the sun is made. Huh? Really? And then day five, pollinators and insects are made. But... Trees have been around for hundreds of millions of years. It doesn't even make sense. Now, you can believe that. That's how it happened. And it's a story, but that's not an interpretation of the Bible. That's not the Bible's story. Another instance is God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. So what that means, my interpretation of God formed man is God made an amoeba. And that amoeba turned into a fish. And that fish turned into a reptile. And that reptile turned into a mammal. And that mammal turned into a monkey. And that monkey got really, really smart. And God breathed into its nostrils the breath of life. And man became, a lot of people believe that. Is that an interpretation of God formed man out of the dust of the ground? Is that an interpretation or is that a completely different story? It's a completely different story. Now you can believe anything you want, but don't tell me that's your interpretation. That's not an interpretation. It's kind of like saying, thou shalt not steal. My interpretation of that is you should steal as often as you absolutely could so that you can give to poor people. So only steal from the rich. That's what it means. Don't steal. That's not what it means. That's not an interpretation. That's the exact opposite of what it's saying. You can't say that's an interpretation. People do this with the Bible all the time. And, and the truth is the Bible is our authority for life. 
and it's not, there, there is wiggle room, there are things that people disagree on and can debate, but most of the, the, the issues we face in life, the Bible is clear about. It says, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's wrong. Um, Bible is the authority for life. You might not like that. Honestly, I, it sounds kind of kooky to me. So you're saying a book written by a bunch of dead guys over a period of 1,400 plus years, the last of which was written 2,000 years ago almost, you're saying that book should, should be the rule for how I live my life? What's the other options? You know, I'm kind of open to other options and this is why I believe the Bible is the authority for life. It's because the other options are terrible. They're actually worse. Here, here's, we'll go through them. If there's other things I'm missing, please talk to me afterward and say, here's an option you never thought of. That'd be great. So the most popular option, if the Bible is not the authority for your life, most popular option is I make the rules, right? I can do whatever I want. You do you and I'll do me. You don't have to think about this very long before you realize, boy, that's a terrible idea. You know, Mother Teresa, she lived in a wonderful way. Jeffrey Dahmer, Decided to eat people. Not so good. And so you might say, well, well you, you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't interfere with me. Who made that rule? Sounds like a convenient rule you made. Who are you to tell me that I shouldn't kill you or enslave you or do whatever I want? Um, so everyone pretty quickly realizes I make the rules is a bad, bad system. Uh, but then they, they kind of slip in in different ways. A lot of people will say, well, no one makes the rules. So if no one makes the rules, practically speaking, who makes the rules? Everyone! <laughs> and we get back to I make the rules again. So, so one of the things, I think this is the most deceptive one, is people say, well, no, God makes the rules. And who decides who God is? I do. And coincidentally, God thinks just like I do. <laughs> He believes everything I believe and he approves of everything I approve of. And I make God in my image. And God makes the rules. No, you're making the rules still. And that's where the, the God of the Bible isn't the God I would make up. There are things I would, I would change about him and the rules he gives for life. I, I, would, I would do it differently. But he's, he's not me. He's better. It's an authority beyond me. And so I make the rules terrible. So a lot of people come up with this. This is okay. So maybe there's another person who makes the rules, like the Dalai Lama or the Pope. The vast majority of Catholics don't even believe the Pope makes the rules. Right? Because you realize, like, boy, that one person in charge of my life and every person's life on earth, that's a lot, that's a lot of power. That's going to end badly. So they would even say, no, it's the Pope and the Cardinals and tradition and all these, you know, kind of things that would kind of blunt that a little bit. But someone else makes the rules or society makes the rules. Groups of people make the rules. So I was talking to an atheist in town here um, earlier this year and she was saying uh, morality is a social contract. So society determines what's right and wrong. I said, okay. So throughout most of human history, slavery was good. No. Like, well, most of society thought slavery was good. Well, no, but we don't. Okay, so 
why, why are we, so, so we're, we're more important because we're later? Yeah, okay. So if people after us come and decide slavery is okay, then it's okay. No. Well, why not? She changed the subject. So another group, so this is very common. The problem with this is in 1994, the Hutus, the majority group of Rwanda, decided the Tutsis should all die, and hundreds of thousands of them were killed. Who am I to say they were wrong? If society believes, India for, for millennia, if your husband died, the widow was burned alive on his funeral pyre. Who are you to say that was wrong? Well, we, internally, we know, we know like, no, sometimes society is wrong. And so where can we turn for some kind of authority? And some people would say nature. It's so wholesome and natural and beautiful. And I'm going to use big words so little kids don't understand what I'm saying. But nature tells us that a female spider, after copulating, eats the male is that, what, is that the rules? Like, is nature really making the rules? Like, I don't like that rule. Like, that's a bad rule. Like, you know, and throughout, did you know that dolphins, cute, little, intelligent, they're actually pretty stupid compared to people, but dolphins, they will kill porpoises just for the sport of it. In fact, sometimes people who know the least about, sometimes people who glorify nature the most know the least about it, spend the least amount of time in it. Um, I've heard this numerous times and even seen, I think, a bumper sticker that says, humans are the only animal that kills for sport. Do you not own a house cat? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever had a chicken coop and a fox got in? It wasn't killing them to eat them. It kills them because that's just what they do. They just kill them. You know, and, and so many animals are like that. Uh, nature makes the rules. Not a, good, not a good way to go. So if it's not that, if, if an individual, if groups, if, you know, who makes the rules? And even who describes who God is who makes the rules? A book. So then you got to say, what book? Is it the Doctrine and the Covenants and the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price? And the Mormons have a lot of books. Um, is it the Quran? Is it Hindu scriptures like the Bhagavad Gita? And, and I'm not going to get deeply into this, but I'm telling you, the Bible is different. It is so different. It is on a totally different class. You look at the Book of Mormon, archaeologically, a, a, an honest Mormon would say, yeah, there's no archaeological evidence for any of it. We're still looking. We hope we find it, but zero. Bible, tons archaeological evidence. Finding new every day. I want to get onto the, the Mount Ebal curse tablet from 1200 to 1400 BC. Just amazing find. Just blows out of the water stuff that they were, liberals were teaching in seminary. Now it's like, yep, that was a lie. Um, and, it's, and the Bible is true. And then on, on top of that, it's, it's non-contradictory manner. If you know where in the Bible there are contradictions, I have dedicated my life to learning and following the Bible. You owe it. If you have any shred of decency in you, you owe it to me to come and tell me how the Bible is not true so I don't waste the rest of my life following it. But I have not found the Bible to contradict itself. That's amazing. 
Like our church has a constitution, it contradicts itself, okay? Like it's so hard to write anything that isn't contradictory if it's long enough of a document, you know, but um, the Bible is different. And so, so who is the ultimate, what is the ultimate authority in your life? And if it's not God's word, then is it, is it really better? If you have a better alternative, I want to know about that too. Here's the thing. When, when truth criticizes our choices, it's not a punishment. It's a, it's a rescue. Here's, here's what we mean by that. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. There's a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. He replied, God's the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anyone's enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. Right? So we look down and say, oh, Bonnie's having fun. Put an end to that, man. Won't, won't guys having fun? Won't Nick and Ryan last week were having fun up here, giving announcements. Well, actually, they weren't having fun at all. They were getting shocked. But I had a lot of fun watching. It just looked like she was having fun pushing that button. Um, no, that's, that's not who God is. In reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown, strain, or friction in the running of that machine and the machine of your life individually and the machine of society at large. That's what God's rules are for, not to make things harder and worse or more boring or difficult, but the proper running of them since he created us. That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. When you're being taught how to use any machine, the instructor keeps on saying, no, don't do it like that. You know, so, so I reach my hand in here. No, 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 don't put your hand in there. Why not? You can lose your hand. Oh, but I did it 10 times and I didn't lose my hand. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it like that. Um, typing, right? What's wrong with typing like this? It'll take longer. Don't do it like that. Like, do it like this. It'd be better, right? He's constantly saying, no, don't do it like that because, of course, there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you the natural way of treating the machine but do not really work. And that's why God has given us his word because there are things that look like that's how you should operate the machine but sometimes it takes 10 years, 20 years down the road and he's like, that didn't work. I wish I knew the right way to do it. Um... God is the source of life. The Bible is the authority for life. And then the last thing, grace and truth is our approach to life. Um, it's a passage in Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, so the opportunities for conversation. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Any of you here not like vegetables? Looking at a little kid, but he's not raising his hand. There we go. Yeah. Down with what, what's the worst one? Asparagus. asparagus? I actually like asparagus. But yeah, so some of the things that help is you put a little salt on it, and it helps. And then you put butter and cheese and bacon. There we go. It tastes good. <laughs> if you put enough bacon on anything, like, like this much asparagus, this much bacon. 
you know, but he's saying, you know, in, in our conversations with people, truth can be like vegetables. Is it good for you? Yes. You need to eat your veggies. You know, but, but you need that salt or bacon or loads of cheese or something to help it taste better and go down. And so he's saying grace and truth. In fact, the point, you know, we just made was grace and truth is our approach and, and some of you who are grammar people would say grace and truth are two things. So two things are the right approach. But no, we said is on purpose. Grace and truth, the world would have you think, are polar opposites. And you can either be, choose to be loving and gracious or you can choose to be truthful. And that's not what the Bible says. Uh, they're... they're, they're two brothers who hold hands. They're, they're two sides of the same coin, grace and truth. And um, in fact, this is another creation account in John chapter one, verse one. It says the same thing, just in a different way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, now we know, okay, the word is a he. He was, it's a person, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the word made everything in the universe. Who is the word? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. God is the source. The word is the source of all life. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Oh, that's who the word is. And John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word is Jesus Christ. The creator of the universe is Jesus Christ. And how is he described beyond creating the entire known universe? He's full of grace, grace and truth, together at the same time. So I want to close with asking you, which do you struggle with more? The grace or the truth? So are you more likely to say something that, to not say something that's true? Are you more likely to not say something that's true because you're afraid you might hurt someone's feelings? Or are you more likely to say something that's true and say what needs to be said, but maybe accidentally or unintentionally hurt someone's feelings? Okay, those are the two choices. And no answer is right or wrong, okay? They're both, you know, we, we need both of those things, but we, every one of us tend to one side or the other, right? And so I'm gonna ask you to raise your hands, okay? Which side you are? Um, are you this? Are you more likely to not say something's true because you're afraid of hurting someone's feelings? Raise your hand. You're not gonna say something's true because you're gonna hurt someone's feelings? Okay, put your hand down. Or are you more likely to say what needs to be said and unintentionally hurt someone's feelings? Okay, interesting, that group raises your hands higher. That is very, I didn't notice that in the first service, but like, grace, I'm like, yeah, I'm grace, truth, oh yeah. Like, I'm a truth, you know. So here's the thing, these are, Jesus was not full of grace with a sprinkle of truth. He wasn't full of truth over grace, right? He was full of grace and full of truth. And so if you struggle with telling the truth because it might hurt someone's feelings, you need to lean toward truth in this series. If you, on the other hand, which this would be me, uh, lean toward truth and sometimes unintentionally hurt people's feelings, 
sometimes intentionally, but most of the time unintentionally, then, then, then I need to lean toward grace. You need to lean toward the grace side because we want to be like Jesus, our model who is full of grace and full of truth. So that's one challenge for this week and for the series to be full of grace and truth and to, to make sure your conversations are maybe leaning the, the, the opposite way that your tendency might be. Um, another thing is, is to really think about, do you change the Bible to fit what you want it to say? Or do you change your life to fit what the Bible says? And really think about that. Because we often, we very easily self-deceive ourselves and we fit the Bible into what we want it to say. And the final thing is, who should you invite to come with you next week? Because this is a great series to engage, not enrage. You need to invite someone to come or maybe watch it. If you're watching online, invite someone to watch online with you. And then afterward, don't talk, ask questions. Say, what did you think of that? Why do you think that? What did you agree with? What did you disagree with? Why do you agree? Why do you disagree? And to have a conversation maybe with someone who thinks very differently than you do and um, who we need to show grace and truth with. And you know what? You're going to need to pray for me too. You may need to show me some grace or truth even. I'm sure I'll get some of that after the sermon. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. God, help us to be more like him and to help other people become more like you as well. And God, I, I, just, I just thank you that you don't leave us like adrift, without a rudder, without direction. You've given us your word. Help us to pay attention to it, to listen to it, to read it, to love it, to memorize it and uh, to let it be the authority in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.